This week's episode of Run Past Michigan is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Michigan football ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Uh, I have the Game Time app on my phone, uh, and I checked it out. It's obviously it's a very sleek app, as we've talked about before. You can the coolest thing probably I would say, even though they advertise a lot of the, uh, you could, it's easy and simple. You can buy a ticket in two taps. The coolest thing is you can find your seat and the actual view uh, from anywhere in the stadium, and that works for Michigan football. If you're a Lions fan, you can do it there too, uh, or any other pro sports team. They also have theater tickets, concert tickets. Uh, really a really easy, simple way to do it. Even people who are who struggle with technology can, can figure that out. So head to the App Store or the Play Store now and download Game Time and score some awesome, awesome deals on last-minute tickets. We want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. It is Tuesday, uh, our free show this week. I'm Nick Baumgartner along with Austin Meek here in Ann Arbor. Austin, how are we doing? Good, Nick. Good. Uh, it's a festive mood around uh, around yeah. Ann Arbor this week, I would say, after that big Notre Dame win. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a diffused pressure release, yes. maybe. Uh, and it felt like that. You know, and honestly, though, it felt a little bit like that, I guess, last week and then leading into the game. Um, certainly seemed that way. Michigan's, more than that, though, um, Michigan's plan in this one was really, really good. And it was effective. Uh, I think the rain helped in a lot of ways because it forced Notre Dame to be a little one-dimensional. But for the first time all season, for four full quarters, this really did look like, you know, sideline and personnel, both hands working together. No one really had any confusion, and, and they played a really clean game. Yeah, and this is why you play Notre Dame, I think. Uh, you, we talked about that last week. Uh, it, it's, it felt like kind of a weird game sandwiched in the middle of the Big Ten schedule, and there was the whole conversation of what, what does it really mean if, if Michigan beats Notre Dame? You know, you're, mm-hmm. you've still got these two Big Ten losses. You're probably not going to win the not going to win the league. You're not going to go to the playoff. What does it really mean? And I think we got the answer to that. Yeah. Is that take everything else off the table uh, when you just kick Notre Dame's butt? Yeah. <laughs> that feels good. It's yeah. fun. Your fans are into it. Uh, it just you know it, it lifts everybody's morale uh, to have a game like that. Uh, if you know if they had scheduled you know Middle Tennessee State or you know some you know non Power mm-hmm. Five team to come in there and fill that spot in the schedule like they do in the SEC, right? Yeah, nobody point. would have been paying attention to it. Uh, but you have a game like that against Notre Dame. Uh, it, it it really you know the intangible value of that. It it it's hard to really quantify it, but it's yeah. There. And it really did feel like an extension of sort of what we talked about the last couple of weeks where, you know, after the Wisconsin game, they played Rutgers, and that really looked like a stripped-down version of everything we saw for that first three or four games, whatever it was. So you strip all that down, you restart yourself, and you try to focus on some things that you do well. And we've seen some of those things creep up over the last few weeks. We saw them um, tinker with a few things against Rutgers, but mostly get back to the zone stuff. We saw against Illinois, they started hitting the perimeter on the pin-pull stuff. Um, we've seen a couple more pulls from Shea Patterson. We've seen a few things that look familiar from a year ago 
that are being incorporated with different personnel groups uh, and spread packages and everything else. And really, truly, I, I mean, not to be the guy who says the tagline, but I mean, it's not maybe what you thought it would look like. And, and I think that this this offense probably isn't what Josh Gaddis thought it would look like when it start when the season started. It's probably not what Jim Harbaugh and Ed Warner thought it was going to look like. But it's melded together. And I got to say, that was speed and space. That's what it was. You saw a lot of instances <laughs> yeah. where your backs were put in situations, you know, because the offensive line blocks certain concepts really, really well, where they're put in situations where they just say, it's you against him. Yeah. We recruited you. Like the, the trap play with Hassan Haskins. They run the trap play. Oldest play in football. One of I Nick Baumgartner's offensive line ran it in 20 years ago. <laughs> it's the easiest thing. It's the simplest thing. It's pull the guard, leave the guy, kick the trap out, and wall the thing down. They run it out of a spread formation, and they put Hassan Haskins in a, situa- a situation where it's you against the linebacker. We recruited you. We put you out here. We think you're a better athlete. Make a move and beat him. And he did, and it was like a 20-yard game. And that's not... Maybe what you look, what you think when you think of, oh, speed and space, we're going to run five receivers, we're going to spread them across the field, we're going to do all these things. Mm-hmm. It works in the run game, too, and I think that was something Josh Geddes was trying to explain earlier in the year. We just never saw it, and now I think we have seen, we saw quite a few of those this week where you were able to get guys in situations where you created one-on-one situations for them, and your athlete won. And, you know, that's really all you can ask for, and, and especially against a team that has a lot of talent in Notre Dame. Yeah, I think you have to really tip your cap to, to Michigan's offensive line and how they played in that game, especially knowing going into that game with the, the conditions as bad as they were. Yeah. Michigan knew, Notre Dame knew, everybody in the stadium knew that's a night you have to be able to run the ball. And, and Michigan did it, and, and Notre Dame didn't have an answer. Right. You know, I think it was 14 out of 15 plays on the two touchdown drives. Michigan ran the ball. Um, Notre Dame knew it was coming right. and, and had no answer for it. Um, so, you know, the... Especially, I think the interior of that line played so well. Uh, Caesar Ruiz, did, yeah. uh, Michael Winu, um, you know that was that was what you thought this offensive line could be going into the season. We didn't see it, you mm-hmm. know, right away, uh, but we're seeing it now. And you know, of course, uh, <laughs> Stephen Spinellis, uh, oh. you know, the the offensive linemen <laughs> rarely get the glory. Uh, so when a guy pile drives his man uh, yeah. all the way to the sideline <laughs> and ten yards beyond, and uh, you know, enjoy the moment, big guy, because yeah. uh, Michigan fans are gonna be uh, gonna be watching that one for a long I, time. I wonder is Spinellis's dad or like uncle the camera operator for uh, whoever that was because they whoever it was noticed what was happening in real time and like followed him all the way to the sideline uh obviously cool moment there but yeah that's i mean you hit on it the interior of the line was great and um you know michigan if nothing else they have five big guys who are athletic and that's the strength of their offensive line all of them can move uh make the tackles mayfield and running running has been long looked at as one of the best athletes they have up front mayfield was a was a thinner leaner athlete they recruited and bulked up and then and Wayne Yu has a, a terrific balance of size and foot speed that has worked for him in a weird way ever since he got here for a guy who is north of 350 pounds. Uh, Ruiz is one of the best-moving interior centers in the country and will be an NFL player at some point. Um, and Bredesen's in the same boat. So you have guys who can move and can get, get outside of people. They can all pull. Um, you can attack the perimeter that way. The, the, we call it the C-gap and the D-gap. Uh, and let your backs make you know one cut against one guy, and away we go. And that's really what we saw. I mean, we saw a little bit of the inside stuff, but this was a great outside zone team last year, and we saw that come back with some of the different concepts that we've come to know with Ed Warner. But I think that it's important. We can't over. I mean, it's important to note it all comes in within Josh Gaddis's sort of alignment, personnel grouping, 
and how the thing is lined up. I think that's important too because I think that helped him a lot. Yeah, I think you have to uh, you, you have to give Josh Gaddis some credit for yes. being willing to adapt what he was doing. Yep. Because it wasn't working, uh, and the criticism early on was that it did kind of seem like. Josh Gaddis had this script that he was reading from yep. uh, and was not you know, adapting in the moment uh, and adjusting in the moment to, to the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, you know, that adjustment has taken place. And if, you know, if Josh Gaddis had just come in and said, hey, this is what we do. This is what I run. Yeah. This is what you brought me here to do. You guys all leave me alone and Go we're going to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Michigan doesn't win that game yeah. the way they did. But clearly we have seen uh, some evolution and you know the the offensive coaches putting their heads together mm-hmm. and saying, what is the best way uh, to win with with the personnel that we have? It's a little bit of Josh Gaddis, it's yeah. a little bit of Ed Warner, it's a little bit of Jim Harbaugh. Uh, it, it all you know it all works together, and, and I think we saw the potential of, of what it could be when everything's yeah. clicking. And I think it's important, and we don't know what conversations happen behind closed doors with these guys, but um, it sure seems like he Gaddis. Uh, went to someone and kind of was like, "Help me out here, guys. What did? What was? You know, what can mm-hmm. we? What can we incorporate from what we were doing a year ago when I wasn't here uh, into what we're trying to do now? And really, let's let's figure out how to make this thing look the way we want it to look, and not run something that I had maybe concocted in my head that I'd never seen before, and play to the strengths of the team. I think we saw the adjustments at Penn State in, the, in at halftime. A lot of that RPO stuff that went to the bubble screen because of how Penn State was playing them. Yeah. We saw the adjustment to the Notre Dame game where. You have a situation uh, where I think Notre Dame maybe wasn't quite ready for everything they were going to do on the ground in terms of this is what worked a year ago. We know it worked a year ago. We know it's going to work again, so we're going to do it again. And I think mm-hmm. that um, that all coupled together allowed them to move the ball, and then obviously Michigan's defense was lights out. And, um, you know, somebody somewhere said something about if, you know, if Jim Harbaugh is running the ball n- near 60 times with five yards of carry, you're probably uh, – in for a long day because he's going to run it. I mean, he's going to just yeah. tell whoever's calling plays, uh, we ain't throwing it tonight. We're just going to run this thing all the way through and we're going to embarrass somebody. And that's, yeah. that's Which what was the, perf- the way yeah. that you had to play that, yep. that night with the conditions. I think the other guy we have to mention is Hassan Haskins. Uh, yeah. He was not really in the... I mean, he was in the conversation, but when when we talked about running backs before the season, mm-hmm. it was really those those three guys, you know, yep. Wilson, Christian Turner, and Charbonnet. And Haskins was kind of like, you know, fourth, fifth somewhere yeah. in, in that conversation. But uh, he has, you know, really emerged as, along with Charbonnet, kind of the, yep. the one-two combination that really works. And you watch him run, and you can see why. You know, he's a he's a big back. He's really physical. Uh, you know, he, he saw him jump over the guy in the open field. I mean, for a running back his size... Yeah. Uh, he really has some nice athleticism. I mean, I think you'd probably say that he. There are times when he still looks pretty raw, like he yes. is a linebacker playing yes. running back, and maybe his instincts are still developing there. But certainly, you know, the 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 raw ability there uh, has has made him you know a real a real weapon. Um, you know, a couple hundred yard games now, and um, that's added a dimension I think to the to the running game that we really didn't anticipate. Yeah, and it's you know. I was wrong on that one because, you know, and I'm probably not the only one. Haskins and Turner both signed in the same class at 2018. Mm. I think it was 2018. Yeah. Um, so they both signed in the same class. Haskins was a low, lowly recruited kid who played at a small school and not big-time competition, whereas Has- or Turner played against better players in Georgia. I kind of thought Turner would be the guy to emerge here, and I think Michigan might have as well, hence yeah. the linebacker switching. Right, yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, credit them for going back to it because, and I still don't think it's. I don't think anybody needs to be given up on Christian Turner. He's still pretty young. I think he could be a good player for him uh, once they get everything fixed there with the fumbling and whatnot. But 
But Haskins is still the. I think he's still the only guy in front of the ball, right? I mean, that's that's part of it, right? Is I he think, yeah, I don't think he has. So it's number one, he's hanging out of the ball. Number two, like you said, he's got a really good combination of size, speed, and, and athleticism. I think Ruiz said after the game that you should see this guy play basketball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got some hops and everything else. So, uh, really good feel for it. A natural runner. He was a huge producer in high school. He put up crazy, gaudy numbers to a point where you were like, well, he looks like an adult running against children. Maybe <laughs> that's part of it, you know. But, no, I mean, he's got a really good feel for what he's trying to do. And I mean, any, any running back in these type of systems that knows how to read a hole and just put your foot down and go is going to have some success. And I think Haskins fits that mold of um, maybe not the fastest guy in the world. I don't think he's running away from the entire defense, but he's certainly able to take a seven-yard gain and make it 25. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been a pleasant surprise for them. So I really do think Haskins, Charbonnet, and Turner are still a trio that going forward, uh, beyond this year, going forward, that's a pretty good, really good trio, Mm -hmm. I would think, that when you enter next season... If all these guys stay healthy and continue to work, and if Turner fixes some of the problems that he's had, that's whoa, pretty good. I think that's pretty productive, and, and, and you're able to find some things with those three guys. Yeah, no doubt. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve. Have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos, choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code RPM. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code RPM. Don't forget that's promo code RPM for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Well, we gotta we gotta talk about uh, the defense because you know, yeah. defensively, uh, Michigan just completely smothered Notre Dame, uh, and you know I, I think it's not a surprise because you've seen Don Brown's defenses do this to good teams in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Notre Dame, you know that that was a that was a pretty good Notre Dame offense. Yeah. Uh, it's not like you know this was just Iowa or you know. You know, yeah, some yeah, run of the mill right. Big Ten team coming in. I mean, that was a that was a, a talented uh, Notre Dame offense that obviously does have some issues, uh, but Michigan exploited those issues. Yeah. I mean, Ian Book was just all oh, over the place. Yeah, yeah, like you know, looked antsy in the pocket, uh, wasn't sure of what he was seeing. You know, a, the yeah. conditions are a factor. Uh, why Brian Kelly is throwing it as right. much as he did in yeah. the first half, I think, is is an open question. Right. But part of that, at least, was because when they did run it, they exactly. weren't having much success. I think they felt like they had to throw it, and that's you know, that's a credit to Michigan because again, everybody knew going into that game that if you could run the ball, mm-hmm. run the ball, and Michigan was the team that took that away. We've talked about the interior tackles uh, and Kemp and Dwumfor and those guys. We talked about them a lot after the Iowa game and how they've stepped up there, and that continues. So you're taking away a lot of the inside stuff. And then Notre Dame will test the perimeter some, and I think we saw again, you're not doing it with Cam McGrown on the field yeah. unless you're really, really good. And so he, uh, 12 tackles is what he finishes up with. He's all over the field. They took away so much of Notre Dame's run game, which is not necessarily the strength of that offense, to a point where I think, yeah, they had no choice. Now we've got to try to throw it in, the, in a hurricane here. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, Ian Book's super confused because it sure sure looked like Notre Dame entered that game expecting to see mostly man coverage. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't you if you haven't spent too much time on Michigan over the past year? 
Uh, I think you probably should have watched a little bit more film, though, because we've seen more zone sprinkled in throughout the last couple weeks. And I think when he saw, okay, what is this? Uh, every Michigan tape I watched last year showed basically man coverage 90% of the time, and now we're seeing maybe 65s at times during certain games. Uh, they did a lot, and they did it really early, where they went to some of their zone checks. They took away some of those crossing routes that have bothered Michigan so much, mm-hmm. and then disguised some man looks that have dropped into zone. And when that happened, we saw Ian Book take off up the middle a few times, knowing that I can't take a chance because the ball's wet. Uh, that bothered him. And then a lot of the stuff Notre Dame was running was just not conducive to, to beating a zone. So I got to think that that's a tip in the cap to Don Brown, too, because... Um, you know, when you spend so much time doing one thing and you convince everybody that's all you're ever going to do and then you come back with something else, yeah. it uh, it can bother people. And we saw it bother Penn State in the second half last week. Not all the way through. They did have a hiccup there. But um, in this game, you know, I think that, you know, dare I say, even in good weather, I think we would have seen a similar result. Because I think Ian Book was just a little bit, he didn't know what he was looking at. And that's that's impressive. Because that uh, that wasn't just because they were blitzing them, you know, nine right. guys at a time. Right. It, yeah. was, it was, everything was pretty well covered. Yeah, and I know you're going to get into that uh, later this week with with some film study. But uh, what have you seen in terms of you know, the adjustments that, that Michigan has made defensively uh, from from the start of the season till now? Because I you know, I can think back early yeah. in the season to quite a few times when I saw Jordan Glasgow like mm-hmm. chasing a, a receiver across the middle, right? What are you doing? Uh, which is yeah. you know which is a, a, a tough matchup to win. Uh, but you know we've we've seen some different looks. You know we've seen Dax Hill really mm-hmm. kind of take ownership of that yep. nickel position. He had a couple plays on Saturday where you know a he's in the right spot and then b he shows really yep. good instincts to step up and make the play. So like personnel wise, what, you know what has Michigan tweaked over the course of the season to get to where they're at? Now? Yeah, I think McGrone is faster than. Than they probably thought. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of game time speed and everything else, because you don't know until you throw him out there. So I think he's probably faster. You know, his his raw speed as a player doesn't drop much from when you put the pads on and make him go run around. So he's probably faster than they thought. And then Daxon Hill's, you know, ability to sort of absorb what they're trying to do uh, in in a pretty quick manner. I think that that's helped him an awful lot too, because you can't put him out there if you don't trust that he's going to do what he's supposed to do. And then I'm sure in the first couple weeks of the season that was a concern because he's mm-hmm. a freshman. He was a Summer enrollee, kind of, you know, they, those kids have to go through the bridge program and everything, and they miss time. So, the more you can get him on the field on third down and take off Glasgow, um, the easier it's going to be for you because he can obviously run and everything else. But when they've sprinkled in some of the zone stuff too, and you know they left Jordan out there a couple times um, on Saturday, and he got on his horse there and chased mm-hmm. the guy down on a motion across the field, and that was completely designed to beat Jordan Glasgow. So you give him credit for that because that yeah. was the. They motion him all the way across to check into man, and they say, we're just going to run him across the field, and we're going to beat him to the spot. And they didn't. So that's a credit to him for stepping up his game. But also, Daxon Hill being out there allows them to do different things, to maybe show man and play in zone. Uh, you know, I think a guy like that is a good, is a great slot player who you don't necessarily have to have him stand there and just play man-to-man on island all the time. It can be both. Uh, so certainly those two guys, McGrone and Hill, uh, have helped them very, you know, do variations in terms of what they want to do coverage-wise and everything else. I think McGrone is faster than Ross was. Uh, he's certainly more lateral, you know, side to side. Um, and then, yeah, Daxon Hill's presence in the in the past game has been pretty notable. We've seen a few times where he's broken up a play or uh, first, I think it was the first series uh, in the Notre Dame game. Mm-hmm. Came down on a crossing route and Michigan had their the switch on with the safeties. Mm-hmm. He came up, blew it up, knew his assignment. And when you got, you can tell that he knows his assignment now because... Yeah. When he sees something, it's whoosh, and you see that speed, you yeah. know. And so I think they've done a nice job of bringing him along. 
uh, pretty quickly. And then McGrone, I think he just, that was just probably a matter of, we got to just play this guy, you know, get him out there and you see him make a couple plays and he's just been unblockable. I mean, he's been terrific in, in just about every way. So uh, a difference maker there. I don't want to call him Devin Bush. I don't think that's fair to anybody, <laughs> but Cameron McGrone's been very good. It's going to be very hard for either of those guys to go off the field. And that's, uh, it's been a difference for sure. I was reading the coverage uh, from the Notre Dame side, mm-hmm. and Pete Sampson uh, covers Notre Dame for the, for the Athletic and does a really good job. And I was, I was struck just by the parallels, you know, of, of these two oh, programs God. and yeah. how a, a Notre Dame loss is analyzed uh, in in such a similar way as a Michigan loss, you know, and even down to like the the discussion of Notre Dame right now being uh, a good program yeah. but not a great program, which is you know just word for word kind of. Uh, the the dialogue that happens all the time mm-hmm. around Michigan. So you know, I I think maybe part of the lesson of this game from the Michigan side, just looking at the big pictures. Number one, like Michigan is not like the only school, right? Yeah, that has yeah. <laughs> that, that has, has some you, problems. Yeah, yeah, days like this, yeah. like when Michigan lost to Wisconsin. You know, it, there is an element of this is Michigan. How can this mm-hmm. great story program lose a game yeah. like this? And then you look around and like, it, it does happen. <laughs> and it, when it yeah. happens, it's not fun. Nobody at Notre Dame uh, was, was feeling too good about that one. Uh, but, you know, I, I think from Michigan's side to be able to kind of flip that around yeah. and, and be the team that, that wins that game, um, you know, it, it's just, it, it kind of changes your perspective, I think, on, on this season and, and where it can go from here. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's you, we've talked a lot about you know Harbaugh has talked anyway about how I saw this coming uh, we were hitting our stride yes and we look back at that and we say you know that's a pretty classic Jim Harbaugh quote in the moment because mm-hmm. it's not you know you're not really reading the room there I mean it's like you know he's not taking into account that we don't see some of the things that maybe he sees or what have you so he says that then and it sounds delusional um, but I think he clarified it um, either. Saturday or last week, and when he said it was, and maybe he said it before and I just didn't remember, but I, he didn't say it that day against whatever team that was, but later on he's since clarified where he said the attention to detail from a practice standpoint on every little thing that they're supposed to be doing has been up mm-hmm. since the Wisconsin game. And you can look at that two ways. One, it's your fault as a coaching staff that it wasn't there before the Wisconsin game and in camp and in spring practice and whatever else. But it's also a credit to you for noticing that, owning it, and fixing it, and mm-hmm. making sure that it got fixed one way or the other. Whether that means if you can't pay attention to this, then you're not playing today, or whatever. Yeah. And so that's really seemed to come out where we see we talked about, uh, to them today a little bit about, on Monday, about some confidence. Really seems like a confident team now. Really seems like a team that's confident in what they're supposed to be doing. We see we don't see a lot of uh, you know thinking going on out there. We see a lot more reacting, and that's across the board. And I'm sure you know you keep winning like this, and it's going to give you confidence to do anything. And you still got two rivalry games left. And you got mm-hmm. a rivalry game against Michigan State, a team that's on the opposite end of that. They're slumping in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, have just gone through a gauntlet of a schedule and got hammered by every team they played. So they're smarting, and well, who knows what they're going to look like when they play them in three weeks. And then, of course, Ohio State, which looks right as daunting as anything's ever looked, of course. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you keep giving yourself confidence. You play well. You don't take any steps back over the next couple weeks. And mm-hmm. at least you go into that game thinking, we're playing as well as we have all year. Let's see what we got. And... You know that's all you can ask for. I think when you're when you're Michigan right now, again going against what Ohio State has, is get just get yourself to the last game playing your best football. We've seen that happen a couple times in the Harbaugh era, um, 
and it's it's made for some games, and we've seen a, seen the opposite too, where it's like maybe you're not playing your best right now, and, and, and it hasn't worked out. So I think that's all you can hope for is just right now salvage what you can salvage, and just try to do whatever you can every day, and whatever the record ends up being is is what it is. I mean, the Big Ten title doesn't look. I guess technically they're still alive, but you know, boy, would I, take a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's going to take an awful lot and some serious heroics. So. Do what you can do and, and see if you can notch some wins because they're still... I mean, there's... And do we get the sense that guys are being a little realistic about that? I think that this has been... I don't know. I mean, what, what have you sensed? Because it feels like it's a, it's, a, it's a pride thing as well. I mean, for some of these to say we're not as bad as we looked. Yeah. We're better than this. You yeah. Know? You know, we talked to Jalen Mayfield, uh, you know, and somebody asked him what it was that, you know, kind of flipped the switch uh, the, the halftime against Penn State. You know how a team basically goes from from being down like they were to going uh-huh. on this run that they've been on for the last six quarters, and his answer was pretty good. He basically said, "Like we didn't have any choice. Yeah, like right. what are you gonna do? Are you gonna like cancel the season? Mm-hmm. Are you gonna stop playing, or are you gonna say, hey, okay, you know, we're it's disappointing. Uh, we we haven't played as well yeah. as we wanted to play at this point, but we're still Michigan. We still have good players on this team. We can still have a good season." Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what they've done, you know. And it is it, it's a little bit maddening to to right. look at how they yeah. played against Notre Dame, uh, and look at how long it took them to get there. But I also feel like you know what, you can make yourself miserable playing that yeah. game. Like you can worry no, about that some other year. Yeah, there's no there's no point. Here we are at the end of October. Like there's no point in going back and saying, well, why didn't you do this against Wisconsin? Like that was. Yeah. You know, it feels like it was a year ago now. I mean, that's ancient history, and all you can do. Uh, you know, in the moment, uh, is just you know get it get it going in the right direction, and and that's what they've done. And wherever it ends up, you know, we'll see. But yeah. it's going to be way better than it that it could have been, or than it looked yeah. just a pretty short time. It's ago. always going to be a head scratcher, and it's always going to be one that people are going to look back at and say, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> because this isn't a young team. This uh-huh. isn't, and we've seen that now come forward the last few weeks. We've seen older guys. Cleek Hudson's been playing really, really well. Metellus continues to do Metellus things, and Kemp and. Shea Patterson's playing better and everything else. It's not a younger. T- it's not a young team. This is a veteran team. A mm-hmm. team that's going to have a, a lot of these veterans aren't going to be here next year. So in a lot of ways, you're going to look back on this and say, God, what you know? Why? Why did this happen? But at the same time, if you're able to dig your way out of it, I think that that could hold up too as a as a, as a lesson and some things for some future teams. Because with it being an older team, you don't have to lie to them. You don't mm-hmm. have to tell them like, oh, you know, that was a really hard fought. You can go in there and be like, that's not good enough at all, you know, in some of these situations. And you can be honest with them and say that you're better than this. I think they were in a really tricky situation in 2017 when it was rattling off the tracks and they were ultimately unable to recover it because they were playing so many first-year starters. They were playing sophomores all over the place and some freshmen. And it's probably hard to tell those guys, you know, like, you're giving me everything you have and it's just not good enough. I mean, because you're young and you don't get it yet. Whereas this team... No, there's seniors all over the place. I think you could be really honest with these guys. They've been really mature about it. It's been a really mature team, it Mm -hmm. feels like, right? I think that we can agree on that for sure. That it's been a team that's handled itself very well, uh, up to scrutiny too, because they have faced some heavy, heavy stuff. And uh, I got to tell you, this is they they got heated up this year as much as any Michigan team has in Mm -hmm. the Harbaugh era. And some of the younger teams they've had through here wouldn't have been able to come off the other side. They would, they would have gotten run off the field at Penn State and probably would have lost that game too against Notre Dame, as bad as Notre Dame looked. But uh, certainly a credit to them for holding it together, holding the rope a little bit, and um, coming off the other side and giving themselves a chance to finish the season on a high note and maybe finish the year with some positive momentum. It's only happened once here. Only one time in the Harbaugh era have they finished the season with a win. 
Hmm. You know, the Citrus Bowl, the first one. And hmm. then every game, 16, they had the gut wrencher against Ohio State and then kind of slugged through the first half of the Orange Bowl, then fell apart at the end. Uh, and then 17, they lose the Outback Bowl. 18, you know, obviously they lose all these guys, don't play in the bowl game after the Ohio State beating, and they get embarrassed in the Peach Bowl. And you go into these off seasons with this, this like, God, what the hell is going on here? And if I feel like if they could change that once, maybe it would help. But you know, also there's a pretty big part of that equation that is called Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, and that's a different conversation for a different day. Yeah, well, I think maybe in hindsight, the uh, the, the mistake that everybody made was assuming that you know hiring Josh Gaddis was going to be like three steps forward yeah, right away, any, yeah. uh, as opposed to what it's been, which is like two steps back and then one step forward, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe another step forward and another yeah. step back. Like it, it has not been like just this straight upward arc right. uh, from day one. It's It's been uneven, which, mm-hmm. you know, that makes sense. Like you can understand why that, that would happen. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I think ultimately how that move is going to be judged um, is is not going to be what happened in the first six games yeah. of, of the first season. Uh, you know the reason you the reason you hire Josh Gaddis is to beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know, bottom line. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. Yeah, you hire Josh Gaddis to beat Wisconsin. Yep. You hire Josh Gaddis to beat Penn State. But if you can beat Ohio State, you can win those games too. Yeah. Anything Michigan wants to do, they can do if they're capable of of beating Ohio yeah. State. At least we can say, coming off this Notre Dame game, you know, this looks like a team now that is on a course where whatever it is, three or four weeks from now, we'll sit here and we'll look at Ohio State and we'll say, this looks like a team that at home can compete against Ohio State. Yeah, and that's the important part, right? You got them at home. And same with the other other one too. But yeah, it looks like a team that at least is going to you're not going to just run them, you know, run them over and they're just going to stand there and take it. I mean, that that Wisconsin game was so jarring, I think, for everyone because it was truly, that was what it was. It was a team that didn't know what it was doing and they got ran over and they didn't really have an answer. And this at least looks like a team that should be able to, you know, you got Maryland, then you got Michigan State, and then you got Indiana with a bye mm-hmm. before Michigan State, right? So it's Maryland, bye, Michigan State, Indiana. That's that's three winnable games. Uh, add Indiana... Is not going to be easy. I don't. I don't think Indiana's playing really, really well. Home against Michigan State in a vacuum seems like it should be a game they could dominate, but it's Michigan State and Michigan State. You know, it's their Super Bowl. I mean, and more, and this year more than ever because they have nothing left to play for. So that's not you can't cross that as a gimme either. Maryland shouldn't be that difficult even on the road. So you, you keep building. You should be mm-hmm. able to keep going up, 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 and then get yourself to that situation. Get as high as you can. See if you can go out and ruin their year. I don't know. I mean, that's you know, and maybe you and maybe in the playoff era, you wouldn't even be able to do that if they beat them. If Ohio State loses one game, yeah, it's just yeah, they, they still get the playoff. But whatever. I mean, it, just just a win over Ohio State would be such a big deal for for Jim Harbaugh's program in every way. Um, you know, so that's something we'll talk about in a month, I guess. They've got other things to worry about before that, uh, starting. This Saturday in College Park, Josh Gaddis yep. versus Mike Loxley. Are we ready yep. for that? It's all about uh, <laughs> all about can you keep building on it now? Yeah. And and the next next part of that is playing Maryland. So we'll get into Maryland a little bit more uh, on Thursday on our subscriber show. Uh, thank you all for checking out the RPM podcast. Uh, give us a, a rating and a review uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts f- uh, for this free show. And uh, come back on Thursday, and we'll uh, we'll get a little more into Maryland. So uh, until then, I'm Austin Meek, Nick Baumgartner. Thanks for listening. Oh,